we'll ask Art Blakey and the Jazz Messengers to sound the theme to set the tone for us here with this clear case of call and response. Such call and response figures in jazz originated in African traditions and found their fullest expression in blues music and spirituals, as Jazz at Lincoln Center reminds us. And they include direct imitation between instruments, a questioning phrase, and a subsequent answer, and the call and response can be improvisatory. We are all about questioning and answering as we move along, not a what's the weather like, partly cloudy Q&A, but about asking serious, often very hard questions with responses that may be tentative, leading to even deeper questions. And we might just call that conversation in a true sense. Case in point, artist Chase Hall, who is a passionate questioner in his life and in his artwork. He tells writer and curator Antoine Sargent that very early on, he was exploring the world and his place in it, trying to make sense of everything and the suffering he saw and experienced, certainly. And he was learning to be an artist who would probe deeply, always. My eye has developed since my grandpa gave me a camera when I was about seven years old That was the only tool that wouldn't question what I was thinking. I could walk around, I could see things, and then I would have this material proof. The camera was this kind of imaginary friend who I had conversations with about identity and life as a black person in America. Paul paints with what he calls an outsider sensibility, alluding to how the label outsider art was once used to underrate great black artists. He also uses the term because he never went to art school, and it belies the informal spirit of how he came to paint. He walked the streets of the city of New York, searching the faces of those he encountered for likenesses he could put down on canvas in a moral, fervid, cartoon-like expression. What he has come to over the years is a conceptual approach that focuses on blackness beyond what he calls the white imagination. So he paints the outsider, the traveler, the rebel, the jazz man, the horse jockey, the folk hero. I don't necessarily believe my work needs to affirm anything that has already been said, he explains. I'm more interested in creating these confusing, complex reads of what painting can be that questions my views and the viewer. That from an interview titled Trouble Waters, Meet Painter Chase Hall by Antoine Sargent in Sense. We'll have a chance to come face-to-face with Chase Hall's portrait of jazz musician Eric Dolphy, whom Hall admires for never settling, for always pushing boundaries. That's in an an exhibition curated by Antoine Sargent, whom we just met, and Matt Wyckoff, and titled Young, Gifted, and Black, 
showcasing works from the Lumpkin Bokuzi family collection of contemporary art that just opened at Lehigh University in Bethlehem as part of the Lehigh University Art Gallery's Spring 2022 season. Dr. William Crow is Gallery's Director and Professor of Practice, Art, Architecture and Design at Lehigh. Dr. Crow kindly arranged for us to have an art scene conversation with Bernard Lumpkin in which we learn about the central importance to him of the kind of questioning Chase Hall describes. Bernard Lumpkin is a contemporary art collector, patron, and educator whose commitment to both emerging and established artists of African descent is part of a broader mission of institutional advocacy and support. Lumpkin sits on the board of trustees of the Studio Museum in Harlem. At the Whitney Museum of American Art, he serves on the Education Committee and on the Painting and Sculpture Committee. At the Museum of Modern Art, he serves on the Media and Performance Committee and is also the vice chair of the Friends of Education patron group. We asked Dr. Crow to make the introduction. It's my great pleasure to introduce you to Bernard Lumpkin, who's a, a wonderful art collector, but I, w- I would also say really educator. He is someone who came to us, gosh, I guess it's now a couple of years ago, and reached out and he, he said, I'm an art collector and I'm traveling my collection to focused in university academic art museums across the United States. And of course, receiving an inquiry like that is, is a museum director's dream, of course, because I think it was maybe 20 or 30 seconds tops after we opened that email when we also saw the artists that are in your collection. And these are our world-renowned artists and emerging artists who are making work that are being shown in galleries and in museums and at universities. And Mark Wansidler, our curator of exhibitions and collections at the Lehigh University Art Galleries and myself, we we just jumped out of our chairs when we got that email and we said, of course, this is, this is an opportunity that we cannot decline. And it's, it's just been a wonderful, I should say, a wonderful education for me to get to know Bernard over these past couple of years now and to get to know more about the art that he collects. One of the things that they have been able to put up for us is about how you did shift. You mentioned your TV producer background and so forth, but you did make a real deliberate shift to say, no, Art, this is what I want to do. Can you talk with us about what that experience entailed? Sure, sure. Thanks, Erica. And thank you, William, for for that lovely context and introduction of helping me see the other side of that conversation (laughs) when when I cold-called you guys. And it reminds me of the sort of spirit of what this exhibition is about, what I have been trying to do with it. You know, Erica, the shift is very interesting because it was a shift in a way that was a shift in my outward pursuits and my professional my professional life, but it dovetailed in an inner way with a return to my roots. And for me, when I decided that I had been collecting art in a way that was sort of more of a, it wasn't a full-time obsession or a full-time passion. And I was, as many art collectors do when they're young and you're starting out, it behooves you to educate yourself and you train your eye, and you learn to buy with your eyes and not your ears. In other words, you learn to uh, acquire work that speaks to you personally, that makes sense for the story that you are telling with your collection. I believe every art collection, every exhibition, and William, you can chime in here too, is a story or an argument, like a thesis. 
and you're exactly. making an argument about something and you're trying to tell a story. And for me, the story that I wanted to tell dovetailed with my family story, my father being African-American, my mother being a Sephardic Jew from Morocco, the way they met and married and had children, my sister and me, the story of a mixed-race experience in America, growing up, not just growing up Black, which my father was and which I was identified by others and myself, but also growing up in a household where French and Spanish were spoken, growing up in a family with artists, growing up feeling that I was part of many cultures and many languages and many families. So when I took a look at the art collection, it was about 10, 12 years ago, I realized that I wanted to do more with the art collection. And it was a time of other transitions in my life. One was that my father was sick with cancer, and he had a very limited time left. And so I was working at MTV News as a producer at that time, and I took time from work, and I went to be with my father in California, and over a series of weeks and months, he and I spoke at length about his family, about growing up, about being black. It was stories that I had heard bits and pieces of through the years, but I had not heard all of those stories. Some of them were very personal about his own experience. My father was a physicist grew up in Watts in the 50s, wanted to be a scientist, wanted to study physics, didn't have a lot of support for that. His parents weren't able to, for instance, buy him a telescope, which he so badly wanted, so he built it from scratch. And these were stories that he told me about his family and about himself and his own sort of yearning, his own dreams, that sort of resonated with me and touched me deeply And in the course of those conversations with my father about the telescope, about growing up in Watt, about our family, and also about being black in America at that time, what resonated with me was this this idea of continuing these conversations. You know, they weren't complete. There weren't answers necessarily. It was just conversations with my father, which, you know, could have been a subtitle or a subtext for the exhibition in many ways. So after he passed, I came back to New York. I looked at the art collection. I realized that I could continue those conversations with my father through my conversations with artists of color, particularly emerging artists. My father had been a teacher. My mother had been a teacher. I had gone to school and graduate school. I was supposed to become a professor. I realized that I could use the collection as a way to teach young people, particularly about history, about family, about identity. The collection could also be a way for me to continue those conversations I had had with my father. And so that's sort of the shift that happened at that time. And it then very naturally and organically gave focus to something that I had been doing in a more sort of general way. It gave focus in the sense that I wanted to align with institutions, with museums, with arts organizations, with nonprofit, people working in the nonprofit space to see how I could help bring the conversation that was happening in my home with paintings and sculptures by artists that I was friendly with, that I had seen in school, that I had met at MTV. I wanted to see how I could amplify those voices so that my collection at home could be more than just a private space. The collection could be more than private. It could be public. It could be shared. And so I aligned myself with institutions. I joined boards, and I became part of a movement now, which is towards sharing artists of color, bringing their voices more to the fore, elevating voices of African descent, 
And that's sort of how I see my role in this. And that's what brought the exhibition Young, Gifted, and Black to William and Lehigh. And William, that's in a sense what you would love for your students to have access to, to images that stimulate conversation. Exactly. Exactly. I think often when when we all walk into museums, you know, there's there's a tendency for us to think about them in this monolithic way and to think about, oh, these these objects have, have just appeared here or they've been placed here. But of course, museums are created by and run by people and artists are people and people are making choices every day about what's on view and what's not on view and how things are arranged and how we talk about these objects. And So for me, I think it's critically important for students and everyone who comes into a place like a museum to really think about what are the choices that are being made here and and who's making those choices and what voices are present and which voices have been absent. And, you know, I'm excited to see that there's a real spotlight on these conversations right now in museums and the world at large. But of course, these are the kinds of daily habits that we really need to all get into, you know, not not just in this moment, which of course is a real flashpoint moment in our culture, but this is something that will be unfolding over lifetimes. Right, right. I, I love what you said, William, in terms of the experience of walking into a museum, because one of my memories of visiting my father's family in Watts when I was a kid was going to the Watts Art Center. You undoubtedly heard of it, but it was and is a community center. And yes. for me, growing up, you know, my parents didn't sit on museum boards. They didn't collect art. They instilled in me a sense of the value of art and the purpose of it, and they instilled in me the value of education. But my earliest, earliest memory of a museum, I think, was the Watts Towers. And it wasn't in a building in a fancy part of town. It wasn't a place that I needed to have a knowledge of great masters, the Renaissance paintings. It wasn't some place that felt alien to my sense of my family or my home or my community. The Watts Towers is right in the community, and it's mm-hmm. run by people in the community, and it participates and activates the community. And for me, that was an early experience, which I now, looking back on that, when I was 8, 9, or 10 years old, of what a museum could be and should be, of what a museum that is in the heart of a community of color could look like. That and the MoMAs and the Whitney's of the world, which we all love and which are all vital to our culture, those are not the only museums that can happen. And those are not the only museums that people can be a part of. And for me, that had a big impact. And I feel like what you're saying now when we talk about museum spaces, like at Lehigh, for instance, or on a college campus, really leaning into the diversity of what a campus is and the diversity not only of background, but also a conversation, a point of view, a perspective, and really making the museum a space, an imaginative space. There is the collection, there are the artists, there is the director and a curator, there's also the audience. And what is the audience imagining in this space? For instance, with your students who come and choose work for the collection, that's amazing. Absolutely. And I think, Bernard, what you're highlighting, too, is, you know, how, how do we make museums places where people see themselves and where they feel like, you know, this is a place where I belong? I think it also calls into question sometimes, you know, how how useful is the word museum sometimes? I think, you know, b- before coming to Lehigh, I worked at a large encyclopedic urban museum. And, 
you know, while while many visitors enjoyed their experience there, we did a large-scale survey of, a few years ago, and many people said, while this is a great museum, I'm not sure that it's a place for someone like me. And that was really a, an alarm for us. And I think museums are really trying to shape their work going forward so that they do become places of possibility and belonging for everyone. And Bernard, when you talk about the impact of experiencing the Watts Center and understanding that that's really an important part of the way the arts can be part of a community, do you have a memory or any sense of encountering an artist or a work or types of work while you were hanging out there maybe that has stayed with you? I think, Erica, one of my memories of the Watts Towers is just the towers themselves and the fact that it wasn't a painting framed on a wall. It wasn't a photograph hung in a gallery. It was this living, breathing sculpture made from materials that I recognized from my kitchen, from the backyard. Mm-hmm. Bits of shards, you know, bits of pottery, bits of glass, uh, broken jug handles. You know, the way the watchtowers were built and maintained were by collections from the neighborhood. I mean, essentially, it was the neighborhood, the community's art project and the elements of what this art installation, sculpture, whatever you call it, the elements were sourced from the community. It wasn't oil, acrylic, mylar. It was bits and pieces of what in other people's eyes might be considered, you know, recyclable or garbage. Even. Mm-hmm. And so the towers were built out of these materials, and it was a communal, collaborative effort. And I think that really made a deep impression on me because I realized that a museum doesn't have to be, you know, a building that requires access and a sort of connection or networking to sort of experience and to understand and appreciate some place that I have to be brought to by a teacher or by someone who knows more than me to sort of experience that place, that the museum could be all around me, number one. And number two, that the materials of art making could be all around me. So I work with artists, I support artists who are very much on the cutting edge of our practice today. The artists in Young, Gifted, and Black are redefining the field of their practice, whether it's sculpture, whether it's photography, whether it's video, whether it's performance. I think that looking back on those visits to the Watchtowers and seeing that art could happen with materials that were familiar, but in the sense of art, unfamiliar, strange for art making, that I had not been taught that you could make art with leftover pieces of glass that you could make art from tossed off, you know, plates or cans or wire. That, for me, I think that attuned my senses to the possibilities of art making, and I hope it's made me a better collector and a better supporter of artists who are today, in their own way, reinventing and redefining what art is. Bernard, will you take us into your collection and take us before a work or around a work, if it's standing, and maybe point out someone who does just what you're talking about or is riffing on that in a way? That's so funny, because <laughs> I had thought about this. And of course, for me, it's such a, a wonderfully difficult question, which is each work I look at in the collection and in the exhibition, Young, Gifted, and Black, for me, stares back at me with a story, with a memory, with a conversation that connected me with that particular artist. And so if I may, I can give you a few examples One example, just an artist who I met when she was in her MFA program at Yale University, the School of Art. Her name is Jordan Castile. 
You may have heard about her recently in the more general news. She was a recipient of the MacArthur, one of the MacArthur Genius Grants. And so Jordan is, in some ways, my conversation, my dialogue with Jordan over the years, beginning with her time in art school to the sort of stature and vision and platform that she enjoys now as an artist, mirrors what I'm trying to do with the collection and how I see my role, which is to cultivate, to nurture artists early in their career. And one of the conversations that I remember having with Jordan early on was, who are the subjects of her paintings? You know, I think it's always interesting when you're talking to a portrait painter, who are the subjects? Are they real? Are they imagined? Are they friends? Are they family? And Jordan has a very well-known series called the Visible Man series, which she was making around the time that she and I first met. And it was portraits of black men. And they were nude portraits. And her purpose in doing that was to sort of show the black man in all of their sort of original humanity. Her idea was to sort of approach the black male body without the sort of cultural baggage that we now associate that have to do with the history of, of violence, of disregard, of prejudice. And I think that she wanted to really consider, in all senses of that word, what the black body is. And here she is a woman, black woman, painting portraits of black men who are nude. And we are confronted with our own sort of images and stereotypes and conceptions of what black bodies are, of what the black male body is. And I think what Jordan wanted to do was to challenge those assumptions, challenge those stereotypes. And one way in which she did that is that she placed each of her subjects into a setting which was familiar to them, in a sense to return the black body to an original context or setting. And one of the paintings in the exhibition, which I love by Jordan, which I think does this, is called Kenny. It's from 2015. And the Kenny in the painting is a fellow student at the Yale School of Art. So she is an artist, painting artist, representing her community, elevating her community, showing uh, a black man in a way which otherwise we might not see. And just to quickly describe the painting, it's a sort of large painting. It's about, you know, four feet by five feet. And Kenny sits at a drum kit with his eyes fixed on the viewer. And surrounding him are different objects and sort of keys to his identity, I guess, is how I would say it. So not only is he sitting on the drum kit, which tells us something about who Kenny is and what Kenny does, but in the background, you can see the, the edge of a painting which hangs from the wall, uh, a reference, I assume, to his being an artist and a painter. There are some objects which are personal and familiar in the painting as well, which connect the person to his life and which connect the viewer to the subject's life. And so this is an example of an artist who is using her work to make a bigger, you know, what Jordan is doing in these paintings is sort of connecting the process of making a painting in a very intimate, personal way with someone familiar, someone she knows, but also making a larger statement, a more universal statement about how black men are portrayed and seen, literally seen, through the popular culture and questioning that and asking us to question that and to reimagine that. Do you know that painting, William? I, I do. I do. It is really a work that I, I think it has its own gravitational pull. I mean, one, one cannot help but just be drawn into that portrait of Kenny. And as Bernard was just describing, you know, really exploring, you know, what are the things that tell us about this person, but then also about 
the painter, about the artist, Jordan Castile. And there are many works of art in this exhibition that do that. I, I think sometimes, you know, when we walk into an exhibition, I think it's natural that we're often drawn to things that maybe maybe reflect things that we're interested in or that we're wondering about or that we're questioning. And, you know, when I do that in this collection, I'm, I'm drawn to works like Bernard was just describing. Uh, who is this person that's depicted in this portrait? What choices is the artist making as they apply the materials to a canvas? You know, what are what is this artist asking questions about? I think great works of art, they're often asking more questions than they are answering things in the world. And I, I think that can be the real the real power of an experience in an exhibition like this. Bernard, you said you like to take part in events when your collection's in a gallery or a museum, and you'll do that in a few weeks here. William, tell us what's on offer. Oh, we would love for everyone to come see this exhibition and visit us at Lehigh University Art Galleries. We are free and open to the public, and we're open Tuesdays 11 to 7, and Wednesday through Friday 11 to 5, and Saturdays 1 to 5. And we're particularly excited that on Tuesday, February 22nd, we'll have Bernard and several of the artists that are in the exhibition giving a talk about the exhibition, and then that'll be followed by a public opening reception that evening. So we we would just be thrilled to have everyone come and bring their friends and families. We, We do ask that people wear a mask as per university guidelines. But we're really hoping that everyone comes and enjoys this exhibition while it's on view this spring. Dr. William Crow, who is director of the Lehigh University Art Galleries and professor of practice, art, architecture, and design at Lehigh University in Bethlehem. And Bernard Lumpkin, contemporary art collector, patron, and educator. And they spent time with us discussing the current exhibition at the galleries that is part of the spring season. And the exhibition is titled Young, Gifted, and Black, showcasing works from the Lumpkin Bukuzi family collection of contemporary art. And it was curated by Antoine Sargent and Matt Wyckoff. And you have a chance not only to see the exhibition, but also to attend the artist talk and public reception for Young, Gifted, and Black. And that reception is February 22nd from 6 to 8.30. It's in Baker Hall at the Zollner Art Center on the Lehigh University campus in Bethlehem. That's the exhibition, Young, Gifted, and Black, and it's drawn from the wonderful collection that we just heard about, the Lumpkin Bakuzi Family Collection of Contemporary Art. And you can see it at the Lehigh University Art Galleries as part of the spring 2022 season. heard about the portrait of jazz musician Eric Dolphy by Chase Hall that's part of the Young, Gifted, and Black exhibition, an exhibition that in so many ways asks us as viewers questions and draws us in. This is a tune performed by Eric Dolphy asking a question. 
Where? We have a chance to invite you again to Young, Gifted and Black. It's open now. It opened on February 1st, and it will run to May 27th at the Lehigh University Art Gallery's main gallery at the Zollner Arts Center, and that's on the campus of Lehigh University in Bethlehem. And for more information on the web, luag.lehigh.edu, luag.lehigh.edu.